With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Patricia Adams Live. We have a very special guest on with us today. Her name is Gabrielle Beasley. She is the author of First Lady or Not. And inside of this book, Gabrielle captures so many different levels of conflict. And all of the feelings that you would get, the highs, the lows, um, just the, the feelings, the range of emotions that you go through in reading Gabrielle's book, First Lady or Not, is absolutely breathtaking. I will say that. I have read it, and we're going to dive into it. Just to give a synopsis, it says, There wasn't a sweet 16 for Crystal like most girls her age. It was bittersweet as she waddled around alone, pregnant and confused. Fast forward 20 years and Crystal is still trying to find or right or wrong that she shouldn't have had to face. Determined to amend her past misfortune, Crystal runs to the church, which is what most of us have been taught to do, is to run to the church. But there's a twist, (laughs) and I just want to welcome you to the show, Gabrielle. And thank, thank you so you much for, for yeah, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to interview you. And I also want to mention that Gabrielle's book is available on Amazon, and she also is a playwright, and she has produced this book in a play, and it's pretty much the play came before the book almost into production. So I'd like for you guys to look at the show page for this and click on the Amazon.com link, First Lady Not, Gabrielle Beasley, and also go to YouTube. And I have pasted a clip in here, First Lady or Not. And Gabrielle, I don't know what to say other than I want to let you open up and I'm going to hold off on asking questions right now. But the main thing that I, I would like to just launch us into is how did this book come about? Oh, it was, you know, it. I never had intentions on just writing anything, whether it was the book or the play or the screenplay, whatever. But I had a family member that I'm really close to, and she would come home and uh, just tell us about a particular coworker that she worked with. And it was almost unbelievable to think that a woman could be that naive and just keep doing the same exact things over and over and over and thinking, you know, really there was going to be a different outcome. So one day I, she she told me something, and I don't remember because there were so many pieces to the puzzle, and she told me something, and I was like, wow, this could truly be a, a book or a script. So I was just 
really just idle time one day, and I just started writing it. And I wrote, obviously, it's not exactly, you know, I don't know every detail of the young lady's life. I don't know her personally. But I took what I heard um, and just some of the events, and I just evolved it into a story. So when I did the play, I did the play first in 2012, and then I did it in 2014. Um, I decided... I just felt like I could do more with it. And I said, you know, I'm going to write a book to help raise money to do the film because I'm a film major. That's what my degree is in. So film is still, you know, always the ultimate goal, but I love to write. I love, the, you know, how it all comes together. So that's where the book came from. Like, okay, let's keep getting this your, this message out here because it really is a lot of messages in this. Even though it's fiction, it's a lot of messages in this book if you really just listen and open your mind and heart to receive it. Well, I tell you, 28 chapters in, I was like, finished like maybe the first six chapters, it got to be really, really, really heavy. Really, really heavy. And the progression just got Mm, heavier. And when I say heavy, it was like I couldn't wrap my mind around the progression because it was such a uh, – the backdrop of it is set in her workplace. and But her workplace is a church. And she's in an administrative role at the church. She's mm-hmm. also a member of the church. And her children, and on and on and on, and then into her mother. It appears that maybe she has knowledge of the pastor or visits the church or something like that. I couldn't quite grasp that part of it. But when I sat back and I thought about it, I said, This is five generations from her grandmother to her mother to her to her two children, and then later on you know, the other things that happen. But the centerpiece that you use is this, this mirror, this heirloom mirror that was handed down to her grand her took her by her grandmother. Mhm. And the thing that, that got me was is that she gave it such prominence in her life. It was almost as if when she looked in that mirror she was hoping that her grandmother would be looking at her and approving of her. But then at the same time, knowing that her grandmother disapproved or would be disapproving. So it was kind of like a a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of scenario sometimes when she talked about looking in the mirror and how beautiful she was on the outside and then hearing her grandmother say, you're going to need more than looks to make it in this world, girl. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, that's a good segue. Go ahead. The mirror, I mean, it, it has so much of it. I mean, if you look at today and look at, you know, where we're at today in social media and how we just are always looking for validation on some level, you know, it's just it's, it's where we're at. And so in that mirror, the mirror has so many meanings to Crystal. For one, it was an heirloom that her grandmother, who she really so had was the only person that truly ever genuinely loved her, who protected her, um, that that was the connection. 
that was just a piece of her grandmother that she kept. But in that same breath, it it also served as her validation when she got to look and see how beautiful she was because she didn't know anything. She's heard that her entire life. And although she loved being beautiful, she didn't have any self-worth after that. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like, like you said, it was, it was a good and bad. It was a, a contradiction because even though that that be- that mirror reminded her of her beauty, it also reminded her of her pain. It also was a constant reminder of who she, who her grandmother had always wanted her to be. Um, but she obviously at this part in the book had, you know, she didn't hit the mark. She kept falling short and trying to get there. Right, and that that's that's clear because she even admits it. She even admits it that, you know, I look in this mirror, you know, I'm beautiful, and I hear what my grandmother told me growing up. She says, but no one ever told me that I was smart, I was silly, I was funny, any of those things. Nobody ever gave her an identity other than the fact that she was beautiful besides her grandmother. And But the thing that gets me is she says, you know, I'm able to take my beauty and go into, you know, and be with the most eligible bachelor. Now, that's the thing that, that got me there is that she knew that she could go and be in the company of eligible bachelors. But then as you progress into the book and she starts talking about Marcus, co-pastor Marcus Powers at Free Will Baptist Church. I love <laughs> I love the name of the church that you put, Free Will, in it. And, and this is not talking about if there is a Free Will Baptist Church out there, I'm sure there is. We're not talking about your Free Will Baptist Church. It is just simply a connection to the fact of, the, of that name being called Free Will because truly Crystal is exercising her free will. Absolutely. As, as, as it unfolds. And so I find that, you know, the way that you put it in there, you know, uh, co-pastor Marcus Powers, you know, he's up and she goes there and he gives her goosebumps. And so because she had goosebumps, she joined and she kept, you know, becoming faithful and da-da-da and all this stuff like that, right? So, but then she joins the church, but then she's also working in another ministry, Right? She, she, she's working in another ministry. She, she's a member of Free Will, but she's working in another ministry, in an administrative capacity with Pastor David. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to bring that into it because the parallel, um, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to cover all 28 chapters, but just to put that as an anchor and the centerpiece of that is that here she is torn between two churches, two men, Right? And her family obligations, um, her trying to get over her past, and also trying to reconcile some things in her in her present between her and her mother. So there's a dynamic with the mom in here that doesn't go quite well. There's a dynamic with the oldest daughter, Leslie, that's not going very well. But the surprise in this is what happens down the road with the second daughter. That threw me. I I was like, wow, thinking that it was going to, you know, be something more with the elder daughter. So can we kind of just take those and move them around a little bit and talk about what what were your feelings when you were drawing that out? Because that's, that's a huge leap that you take 
in between these chapters, and it just it just hits you. It's just it's just like somebody just sucks punch you <laughs> because you you know okay. that she's making a a bad decision, but you just don't expect it to turn out with such the way it does. horrible consequences. Yes. Okay. Well, let me start with how you first the first thing you uh, were speaking about. Okay, so you know how Crystal puts that she is, you know, she knows her beauty can put her in, you know, the arms of the most eligible bachelor. She knows that. And I know you said that, you know, that just kind of seems strange because of the selection that she's chosen. But I don't really think it's that ironic because how many beautiful women are just women in general who have everything going for them? And this is for men, too. We don't always choose the person that we should be with. We choose what we want. Um, she had her own – she had what she had in mind that she felt would make her this perfect woman. And she felt like being a first lady in the church would do it. So it was by any means necessary. No, Marcus was not any good for her. But she already had her mind set up. She already had her mind set up what she wanted. So she was willing to use those pieces to – get there. I mean, I think that's just where we're at today. I mean, I can speak for myself that I've definitely, definitely dated men that I had no business dating, um, and I knew it, and I stayed in the relationship way longer than I was supposed to. So when I wrote that component of the book, I was relating that to just women in general, men in general, who, you know, we look up and we're like, why were we in this situation? How did I get here? Um, and I know that I'm better than this, and I deserve better than this. So that didn't come from anything particular. It didn't come from, you know, me hearing about this particular woman that even helped start this book. It was just my own experiences and just listening to other, you know, women and men talk. Now, as far as the, um, Marcus and Pastor Davis, I wanted to, with those men, I was trying to show a couple of different things. I was trying to show that, um, you know, you always have to be careful. Because, and I say this loosely, and this is not to condemn the church on any level, but I say everybody in the church is not, or in the pulpit may not be called, you know, it, or even if they're called, they get so caught up on the validation and the fame and all that and, and what comes along with it. And that was Marcus. That was Marcus's thing. He was so caught up with his name and who he was his name, Marcus Powers, you know what I mean? Like he, he lived it to, up to that, that um, he lost sight of what he was even supposed to be doing and became greedy um, as a, a man of the cloth. But Pastor Davis was, you know, the polar opposite because I wanted to show that he was very genuine. He loved God. He loved his family. He was really and truly a very good man. Um, he had a moment of weakness, though. Um, and that just is a, that kind of falls back on anything because I think a lot of times we put pastors on pedestals and everybody falls short, everybody. But I wanted to show that even though Pastor Davis may have slipped, he never fell. He didn't fall. He, he came back to himself before he literally crossed that line. Um and that, I just kind of wanted to show the dynamic because a lot of times, you know, it's either like good or bad. But there is no one, it's not one person that's completely bad and it's not one person that's completely good. 
we all have our things. And that's, that was really one of the, I wanted to show with really all my characters were the very human side of it, that we can't put people in a box and we can't turn our backs on people when they do fall because people are human. Now, as far as her girls, Leslie, which is the eldest daughter, it's, it's really just a reflection of Crystal. And Crystal can't see that. Crystal, it's, well, she starts seeing it out, let me say that, as the book goes on. But she does not see that. When she is looking at Leslie, she's just looking at a younger version of herself, very strong will, very beautiful, and just determined to do things that she wants to do. But the frustration with Leslie, Leslie's more is very vocal, and she does not like the what she sees. I don't know what child likes to see their mother mistreated, and it it drives it drives Les, uh, Crystal crazy because Leslie calls her on it. Leslie calls her out on it, and you know, with anything, when we're ready not we're not ready to receive the truth. You know, we go become defensive. It becomes conflict. So that that was her thing. So we expected. Because Leslie had the smart mouth and was, you know, vocal and, you know, she was ready to be confrontational with her mother, you expected her character to evolve a different way. Um, but that goes another thing where we always put um, labels on people. Yes, Leslie definitely had her issues. She was angry. Who? What child wouldn't be? Um, but Leslie had in her mind that I, I, I'm not going to go down that same path. But then you have her other daughter who she was so focused on what looked bad that she didn't she just figured that the youngest one, Aisha, was just head in her books, just focused and then Aisha was a more respectful daughter. She was more understanding. She was frustrated, but she used she decided not to attack her mother. And so it was just a lot of different dynamics that, you know, don't be so quick to judge and overlook. Crystal Head was so caught up in Marcus that she really just overlooked her daughters all the way. So that's, that's, that's how the different dynamics, the, all the characters were meant to show this is the world we live in, it's the different pieces. So people make mistakes. It was never to condemn anybody. It's like people make mistakes. It's just how we decide to respond to them is, is how our life will, I believe, how our life will unfold. So, yeah. Now, I, I want to point out this. Is that, remember, we talked about Free Will Baptist Church. And so we're saying mm-hmm. that the characters, the characters in the book truly are exercising their free will. All, all of the characters are. But then you move over to the next church, and it's called New Hope. And the dynamic, the way that you set this up, is that when uh, Crystal does have an awakening, it, it, it's like what some would think, okay, it's it's too late. It's too late for her to have this awakening. And then she shifts her focus to Pastor David, who's the pastor of New Hope. And and I see that as kind of like a, a parallel between, okay, here she's exercising her free will and it's costing her more than she wants it to cost her. But then she turns her attention to Pastor David. But now I want to say in, in this that both of these men are married. Both of these men are married. Mm-hmm. One's a co-pastor, one's a pastor, senior pastor, right? Mm-hmm. But she mentions initially 
that her looks put her in places of eligible bachelors. But these eligible bachelors don't have, quote, unquote, what she called the power that she's seeking because the power to give her that first lady status. And for some reason, she's locked it in her mind that the the position that she needs to have in life is tied to being a first lady. Mm-hmm. So most of the, the people that she needs to, I guess, get that from, they have to be pastors or on their way to be being pastors. But she chose both men who were married. And now, you know, there are single pastors out and available. You know, so amongst the bachelors, maybe there was a pastor, but it was something about the the outer packaging, you could say, of the men because she definitely focuses on Marcus's looks, the way Marcus looks, the way he smells, the way he talks, um, the way he, you know, uh, delivers a sermon, all this. I mean, she's, she's focusing on his outer man, but you never hear her say anything about his heart, about his, his, his spirituality. You know, she talks about his outward appearance. She talks about how he can move the audience, how he moves her and all this. So she talks about him in a physical sense, but you never really make the connection for her between uh, the spiritual side. And these are these are men who are pastors, co-pastoring and pastors in the church. Right. But you never hear her tie any of this to the spiritual side of these men because she has not well, entertained Except for Pastor Davis. Now she, you know, does kind of mention about Pastor Davis, well, but for Marcus, it's, go ahead. It's it's all about the looks, and that kind of goes to where she's at. Okay, so when, we, when the book opens, you know, she's dating, she's in a relationship, so you know, loosely with Marcus, right? But at this point in the book, you know, she's also very vain. You know, uh, she's it's a lot of, yes, there's it's some insecurities behind it, but she's vain. And nine times out of ten when we date, we most of the time date a reflection of who we are or who we want to be. Um, and that's what she wanted. She loved that power. She loved the way, as beautiful as Crystal was, Crystal could demand the room with her beauty, but she she didn't have the charisma. She didn't have that. Um, and I put that in there purposely that, that's all she knew she had. She obviously had more, but all she felt like she had was that beauty. But the way Marcus, you know, just dominated a room and how he just could, you know, he got all the attention and how he, you know, was charismatic and he was good looking. At that part, that time in her, in the book, that's where she was at. That's what she felt like she wanted. No, she didn't know Marcus's heart. No, she didn't know that, you know, she, she she didn't even pay attention to that. Now, as time goes on and she's learning who Marcus really is, this is where the shift happens. And just with life, when we change, when God is moving us, it's, it's, it's a, well, I can only see for myself, but it's usually a slow process. It's a, and she still isn't hitting the mark, but her perception of what she feels like is a good man is starting to change. Yes, she still wants the good looks, but she's also looking at how Pastor Davis treats his wife, how he adores her. You never hear her talk about that with Marcus, but she makes sure that, you know, the way that he loves her, 
his wife, First Lady Davis, that begins to be a track to Crystal, which shows the shifting coming. She's starting to look at things a little differently. Of course, it's still wrong because they're both married. But she's starting to understand, like, you know, the light bulb goes off. Man, it's not all about. <laughs> it's my, Maybe it's not just that physical. You know, maybe that shouldn't be the prime piece. Maybe that's not all of how it, it should look. Let's let's talk about, you know, I want to get treated like that. And I, and I put that in the book, uh, you know, even down to when they go out to eat and, you know, she gets accustomed to, you know, just, been still on the materialistic things, but just the whole ambiance of her being in, in his truck and how he, you know where they go to eat. She's she start. It's just the things are different, but you know it's still that comparison of her and Marcus. But I, both of them are there. It's like a how do I explain it? It's a transition that's happening, Patricia. Um, but it's a slow trans, transition. Unfortunately, until it all blows up is when she the all the fireworks really go off in her head that the pieces start coming together. But I wanted to show that that's what, that's what's happening with the two. Her vanity is what attracts her to Marcus and the power and all that. But after being broken so many times by Marcus and hurt, she starts to understand, I want something different. And if you even think about it, she says that in the book, oh, I'm not going to put myself out there with Pastor Davis like I did with Marcus. I'm going to let, if he wants me, he's going to have to pursue me. Although it's still wrong because he's married, but she's trying to figure it out like most of us slowly. But she hadn't given any, hadn't given any of it to God yet either. So that's a whole other thing, free will. She was still trying to do it her way. So, yeah, right. that was the dynamic right. with that, yeah. Now, the the other part of this is, is that when we get into um, – the shift, what causes her to have this shift um, and just immediately in the back of her mind Pastor Davis is kind of like a backup plan in mm-hmm. a way because before she breaks off you know, or, or begins to break away from market, Pastor Davis makes a comment about how well dressed she was and she took that you know, and she says you know, maybe I shouldn't make so much out of this but she still does, you know, kind of like catalog it, like, hmm, maybe he is attracted to me. And then the next thing, then you've got the, this this uh, conflict. You start this chaos going on with what's happening with her and Marcus, and then she comes to the church and she finds Pastor David sleeping on the couch at the church. And she's going like, okay, something, you know, is really, really going on at home. So maybe this is my new hope, quote unquote, at New Hope mm-hmm. Baptist Church, you know, that maybe this is my path to being a first lady. Okay. But then she checks herself for a minute. And then her friend Yolanda, which has always been here from chapter one, um, basically is that voice of reason. And um to me, kind of like a, you know, I won't say a moral compass because um, her friend is a little bit tilted too, but she has a sounder, um, she's more mature, i put it like that. She's more mature in what she knows and what she believes. And she doesn't talk a lot about God, but she has, 
more of a understanding of the way things should be working for her and for her friend and for her friend's children. And so she has the best interest of the children. And this is something that Crystal said is that my mother never had my best interest and mine. So now I just want to talk about the women for a second because now we've got the grandmother and you don't, you know, really say how the grandmother, what type of woman the grandmother was other than the fact that she imparted wisdom to Crystal, right? So that says, you know, to me that that's her anchor. But then Crystal says at 16, she's dealing with stuff that she shouldn't be having to deal with, okay? Then you go back and you pick that piece up, and then her mother, Essie, she never calls her mom mom. She calls her by her first name, Essie. And so Essie enables Crystal, and Crystal enables Marcus. And when I say enable, it's the financial change. Because Marcus is borrowing oh, money from from Crystal, which makes Crystal have to go and borrow money from her mom. So then well, the the and he's not really borrowing; he's taking. And, and no, I, he, you took the words out of my mouth. He's not borrowing; it just sounds good <laughs> when he says. Yeah, it. yeah. You know, it's like you know, I need help. Blah 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 blah. But the reasoning that in in the book that you give, I mean, one, at one point. Uh, when he asks, he comes and he's all in a frenzy and stuff, and he says, well, you know, some random, this is the part that really, I was, I was like, random, really? <laughs> some random woman in the church is accusing me of getting her pregnant and I need money for an abortion. And I, yeah, that and, was and, just and I, him being the, woman, the womanizer uh, that, he, that he, really, he really was. That was just, you know, just, uh, just throwing that out there that he really does not care. He's just—it's just all about what he wants. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Exactly, but it was that word. I loved that word. That's the way you used it. Random, some random woman, like really. So some random woman that you just happen to walk by and brush against that church has accused you of getting her pregnant, right? And mm-hmm. you are coming to Crystal instead of coming out of your pocket if that's what you felt like needed to be done. But at the same time, think about it, is that he's coming to her as a co-pastor asking for money to kill a baby. Mm-hmm. That Again, many are called. Too. He wasn't called. He wasn't called to that <laughs> position. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, this is where she's going to get the wake-up call. Because I'm thinking, okay, did you hear what he just said, he, why he needed that money? Did, did you hear the reason why he said he needed that money? So, well, you know, um, hmm, I, I'm upset that I think he's cheating on me. And I'm thinking, okay, he's cheating on you, but he's married, right? He's married to somebody else, and so he's cheating on you, and that means he's cheating on everybody. So then she goes on to find out that she um, has the task of doing a blood drive at the church. Because this other couple, which is really, I like this couple, they've been married for 60 years and over the the ministry of the singles ministry and the marriage ministry and things like that, right? And so Mm -hmm. she starts to confide in this woman. She says, I really would like to have what they have because they still seem to, after all these years, still to be on their honeymoon. So she respects this lady 
and a maternal sense in this woman imparts wisdom to her. But at the same time, she's not really truthful with the woman with everything that's really going on. But the woman still gives her good, you know, counsel. She still gave her godly counsel, even without her giving her all the details of what was going on. So then you take this, and, and how we end up, you've got a grandmother who's dead. Her grandmother's been dead for six years. So she meets Marcus four years four years in after her her um her grandmother dies and they've been in a relationship for two years. Or what she calls a relationship for two years. Right. With the co pastor, right? So now she's working at New Hope Baptist Church and in an administrative capacity, da 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 and now the pastor at New Hope begins to pull on Crystal and say, hey, you know, um, I've got a, a, an opportunity to grow the church, but it all hinges on my wife being on board. I can't show up to this particular business meeting without my wife being on board. Then the deception comes in kind of like, you know, uh, well, I need you to go to this meeting with me. But Pastor Davis doesn't quite lay it out, well, I want you just to be here and allude you're my wife. Okay. So she goes, she's excited, and this is taking her mind off of Marcus. Okay. She goes and she's there and the pastors, the two pastors that are there, like, you know, obviously taken aback by her looks as well. And they compliment the pastor on his wife, you know, looks and, you know, her attire and da-da-da and all this stuff like that. And Crystal just says, you know, I don't say anything. I just let it slide and I just, you know, go. But I like the way it felt. I like being in the room. I like, so it's like she liked being in the company of these powerful men. And she liked the fact that they thought that she was Mrs. Davis. So I don't know if you want to, huh? No, no, I was just agreeing with you. What's your question? I don't know if she was being delusional. Like, you you know, there's so many different layers to her. You say, you know, she's vain, right? Um, You say some other things. But it's like, is is, is at that moment, it's almost as if she's being delusional. Um, And you really kind of feel for her, okay? You really kind of feel for her. And you wonder, it's like, okay, is she about to go down a rabbit hole here because she well, suddenly stepped into this, you know, this vanity and, and this world right. that she seems to just be making bigger and bigger and bigger than what it really is. She absolutely, okay, so the, I was definitely trying to have the reader be on an emotional roller coaster with Crystal. That was the big thing I wanted the reader to feel. I wanted them to be frustrated with her, angry with her, you know, ask the question, what are you thinking? And at this point in the book, yes, she is delusional. She, it's almost like a safety net. For one, she knows Marcus is no good. I mean, she knows it. There's no other way to deny it. If she continued to stay, I mean, it would literally be her fault. 
but she's trying to still ease that pain. You know, she still doesn't want to deal with it all. And a lot of times I know that we as people will move on to something else without getting healed. So where her delusion comes in, now mind you, throughout the book, Pastor Davis gives her these little compliments, and she just kind of files them in her head, right? So by the time she didn't actually, she said she's not going to act on them, and she all the way hadn't, but she they were in her mind, like, uh, this might be my last hope for what I'm looking for. It's just filed. And so when we make it to this dinner and Pastor Davis gives his illusion that, you know, he doesn't correct. The, the other pastors, when they say your wife is beautiful, that's when she kind of grabs a hold. Okay, she unfiles those, those comments, and now it's like, okay, maybe this is something. And so she's holding on to something. Now, Pastor Davis is still married. Pastor Davis has not made a pass at her. Pastor Davis hasn't done any of that. But she's taking what she wants to take, most of us do. She's taking the parts that she wants to hold on to, that she's decided to hold on to and use that to push her forward, to push her past the pain with Marcus and to believe, to hold on to that hope, that faith, that hope that God has given me another trans, chance of what I really, really want. But, yes, it's complete delusion for her. It's almost like you want to ask, is there something mentally wrong with her at this part in the book? Because you can't keep doing it. It's like you're, as a reader, you're like, you're really to make the same exact mistake again, and had Pastor Davis not been the man that he was, she would have, because she everything hadn't hit the fan just quite all the way yet. So, yes, the purpose of me putting that in there was to really frustrate the reader. That's what I, I was trying to inflict some emotions, because if you think about it, how many times as, as a woman have you had a friend or if you've been that friend, that I think we've all been there on some level where we are being absolutely stupid <laughs> behind a man. And you're so frustrated with them. You love them. You want the best for them. But they necessarily don't want that for themselves. So they do, but they don't realize the mistakes that they're doing. So you're going crazy. So I was putting those feelings that I've had with, I'm sure people have had with me from my mistakes in relationships and from the feelings I've had with people that I love that I'm close to. I put that on the reader. I wanted the reader to feel that. I wanted that frustration to kick in. I wanted the empathy to come in at certain times because we do have that, and I wanted that frustration. And at this point in the book, I really wanted to show, the. I wanted the, the, the reader to be at their wit's end. So that is why I portrayed her as kind of like, is something wrong with her? Is, you know, is she crazy to think that you can keep doing the same thing and going to get a different result? So that was the purpose of me doing that. You did a great job of it because truly you had me. I was like, oh, <laughs> if she does one more thing, like really seriously, and and it's just in spite in, in spite of everything that's going on in her life because then I don't want to give away the book because I really want people to read it because it's really, it's gut-wrenching, it's thought-provoking, but at the same time, there are so many pieces in it that I want to talk to you about, but I want to ask you, do you really want me to talk about it? Because there's health issues, there's uh, family, other family dynamics and things, and so do you really want me to talk about 
that some more, or do you want me just to leave that in, in for the reader to find out some more about it? Well, what do you want to talk about with the family dynamic? I'm looking at the fact, like I said, there's the grandmother, right? There's Crystal, mm-hmm. the granddaughter, but there's Essie, the mother. So you got the grandmother, the mother, the daughter, the grandchildren, and then the consequences for Crystal's behavior is that she ends up with a health crisis. But then while she's having this health crisis, she's also having a family crisis. But then she's also having a come-to-Jesus meeting with her mom. That's way overdue, in my opinion. Okay. Um, And then there's this part of her where she starts to gain strength in the midst of the struggle. Now, that part, I I really, I like the fact that you did that, the way that you did it. It's like the shifting in her life was um, pivotal, but then we we get to the end of it and you did the bam, okay, I'm going to drop this on you, but I'm not going to take you the rest of the way. So I know that there is a a follow-up book to this. It is, <laughs> yes. I know there's a follow-up because there, I'm like, okay, seriously, there is a huge cliffhanger at the end of this book. And right when you finally have accepted Crystal's flaws and all and you're ready to, you know, to, to go on, it's like you just cut it off at the pass. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. But all I can tell you is, is that the dynamics of, let, let's just say the consequences for her behavior or the consequences for not so much her I don't want to call it behavior because this is this is another show that I did on here about the Christians, single Christians, married Christians, and their definition of what sex is inside okay. and outside of marriage, right, and the consequences for that. And this was uh, it's still out here on uh, the, the platform and it's available for download. And it's basically talking about STDs in the in the Christian community. And the reason why during this interview that I had was with a, a doctor who had the inside information on this, and they were giving me the statistics and said that they were encountering a lot of Christian people who were coming to them for treatment, medical treatment of STDs. And she would ask them, how did you contract this? You know, and they would say, well, I'm not having sex. And she says, well, how did you contract a sexually transmitted disease then if you aren't having sex? Well, you know, I was doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and so this isn't considered sex, right? And Mm -hmm. But here you find out that when she finds out that she is now a statistic, that she puts Marcus's name down, as the only person that she's been with that she could have possibly gotten infected from, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, it, it, it blows into something else. But his response to it all is that he says ultimately that she gave it to him. So she she puts he, he, he doesn't even take responsibility in that, whether he was the one who gave it to her or not, don't know, you know, don't really know who, did what because you're not know, talking about who was the carrier dot or whatever, but at the end of the day, what he does as a quote unquote co-pastor to her 
And when he does it, the timing of it, he, he knew what he was doing and he knew what was happening. And the way that he did it, it was devastating to not just, it spoke to his lack of uh what you call he wasn't called, but it, it spoke to his lack of character, it spoke to his lack of maturity in Christ, whether he was called to be a pastor or not as a Christian, flat out as a Christian, his level of maturity as a Christian to come in at a time when all these other people would be there to just completely wreck her whole world. You know, I'm right. not going to say and he was, he was just trying to be angry. That that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he you was know, on a vengeance. No I mean, because after that point, he just he kept going. Like he was on a plan of he was on a path of destruction. But if you think exactly. about it, from the beginning of the book, that's all he had been. He had never meant mm-hmm. her well. That was it was all about him. He had he may not have really it may the book may not have shown that, but really that's what he's been doing from the time we are introduced to Marcus. It's all about him and what he wants and what he has to do to get it, whether it's manipulation, you know, the smooth talking, you know, whatever it takes. By the time he gets to that point, it really does, like you said, it shows who his character is because he himself knows that he has not lived a, a purified life. He knows better than anybody that he could have been the cause of this. But because he, he doesn't take responsibility or accountability for who he is, he immediately puts it on her. She became the blame. And then, oh, what about my wife and family? He never put in, it never, he never said, like, man, if I hadn't been doing what I, be, I, would do, I was doing, my family wouldn't be in this situation. But it was never, he never accepted that accountability. And I just wanted to show that, you know, it was, I just want to show that who Marcus was as a person. He was very selfish and conniving, and he didn't care. He didn't care about who he hurt. At the end, it really wasn't even about his family. It was just about him. Yeah, because that's only in there for a bleep. (laughs) It's only in there for a second. He says, you know, if you're going to destroy me, I'm going to destroy you. So it was the focus was on him getting it never, her back. Yeah, it was never about yeah. yeah it was yeah, he was yeah. he wanted that revenge. He wanted vengeance. Yeah, because he never said anything about well, you know, you didn't think about what this would do to the church. You didn't think about you know no. the members at the church. I mean, it was all centered around him. And but the thing of it is, but this is this is a two way street. This happens with both men and women. And at Absolutely. the end of the day, when you sit back and you think about this, how many? How many people, how can I say this? I want to say this gracefully because as as upset as I was with Crystal, okay, I was even more upset with her mother when I found out in the book how she ended up, what she allowed. And, And that and the fact that she still, the mother still had the audacity to put those words in her mouth as if, well, you know, okay, it happened, get over it. And I was like, are, are you kidding me? And so you can't Essie, see what you've done. Essie's role was, okay, do you, if you notice how how close Essie was to her grandchildren, you know, you kind of see that dynamic, that go-to. You know, Crystal was close to her grandmother. Here's the thing. 
Essie knew she was wrong. And after Crystal later confronted her, she semi-apologized, because I'm not going to say it was even all the way, because Essie wasn't really ready to receive everything either. But Essie used her relationship with Crystal's daughters as her act of forgiveness. I wasn't a great mother to you, but I can be a great mother to these kids. All the while, she was condemning her own daughter with her, to her children. That was the dynamic of just being a true hypocrite. Like, you never told, I've, especially Leslie, because Leslie is the one who has the most history, the most pain with how she got here. You never told Leslie the truth. Yet you condemn, you kind of pounced on Leslie's frustration with her mother. Instead of being honest and being like, your mother's been through a lot. Even if you didn't want to tell, you know, your mother's been through a lot. What you did was every time you seen Crystal do something bad with a man, make a bad decision with Marcus, you went and talked to her daughters like she was, like they were your homegirls, like they were your friends, and you condemned your daughter. But yet you never accept the responsibility. So that day when Crystal had decided, when her awakening was really coming, okay, this start, a lot of this starts with you. And I put this line in here on purpose. I can't blame you for everything that I've, that I've been through. But I can put some of it on you because you, you started it. You created a lot of things that never had to happen. So at this point, Crystal is starting to accept responsibility. Yes, a lot of this is my fault. But I will not let you think you're gonna, you won't get to walk around here like you didn't do anything. You don't get that pass. So that that was when the change was coming. But, yes, Essie was – Essie just wasn't there. And I want to really show that in the second book. Um, what is it going to take for, for that healing to even come? Because, as you know, as I put in the end of the book, she said, Essie and I are we're – taking, we're taking it slow. They basically have to rebuild their whole relationship. I don't want to tell the book how it begins or ends, right, but right, even with right. all the catastrophe that happens, Essie still isn't there. Yolanda has to come, and she's hurt. Like, why isn't my mother here after everything that's happened? After everything, she still can't face herself and be here with me. So it's, it's, it's a lot of things, and it just also goes to show how important a parent's love is because even after everything Essie had done to Crystal and allowed to happen to Crystal, Crystal was still that little girl, and she just really wanted her mom and that love and that protection from her. So, yeah, which is why she's And that's where the compassion comes from. But when she, yeah, Yolanda says, well, your mom sends her love. I think, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> after like, everything. She it really? Like, yeah, really? That's and all I did? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, that right there. But her desire to be first lady um, stems from something she saw as a child. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, she talks about that, that she felt like, okay, the kind of love and attention and affection that I need in my life is going to come to me through being a first lady. And for whatever reason, her choice in trying to get to the path of being a first lady, she chose two married men. 
to, you know, try to pursue that path. So the first wife, uh, like with Marcus, she was more in competition with her because Marcus had fed her a sack of, you know, stuff about how messed up the marriage was and da-da-da and all this stuff like that. So she was more in competition trying to, you know, get the first Mrs. Powers out so she could become the second Mrs. Powers. Now the other one, she had a little bit more respect for her, uh, Mrs. Davis, but at the same time when she saw Mrs. Davis was slipping and her husband was sleeping on the couch and later, you know, in, in the church and then later, had to get his own room at the hotel and stuff, then she says, well, okay, fine. If she's going to throw him out there, then I want to pick him up. Okay, so in, in the process of her getting to the point, so maybe at some point or another, but then here's the other thing that we need to pull in man number three because there is the triangle. There is somebody on the outskirts of her life who has been admiring right. her, who knows about all her flaws, knows about all her bads and stuff like that, but he still sees something in her. And right. he's saying to her, This is this is the best and I'm not I'm not, you know, diminishing anything else that you did in the book, but this right here was the best piece that you did for me, um, out of the three men in this picture. Okay, was is when he told her, he says, you know, I might not be a pastor, right? At this particular moment in time. He said, but I saw you, and I know you. I know who you are. And, 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 and people don't speak highly of you, but I see something in you. And I would have treated you like a first lady. I would have, I would have right. treated you. Now, that right there is, is the key, is that being a first lady of, quote, unquote, a denomination, a church, or whatever, okay, that's one thing, but to be told that you don't have to be the first lady of the church to be treated like a first lady. I was like, that right there, you did that. I'm going to give you, you did that, Crystal. You, I mean, not Crystal, I'm sorry. <laughs> you did that. You brought, you brought that out. You brought that out. And when I tell you, I said, that's it. That's, that's what every woman wants is to be treated no matter whether you are the first lady of the church or not, you want to be treated like the first lady. And, and that was this the whole young man said, yeah. Rodney I mean, was, he was the, the one who really brought the whole story together. He, and he was, the, as you said, yeah. the outskirts of it. He was the mm-hmm. one that the message that I've been wanting Crystal to get the whole time. Being the first lady, yeah. the title wasn't going to make you a first lady. You had to be a first mm-hmm. lady before you even got received that title. And if we were in person, I'd give you five. <laughs> I would give you five because that's 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 key. Is that um, and, and I, I will say that I know uh, out of all the first ladies that I have known in my life, you know, maybe I know two. Maybe I know two that I think truly exemplify being quote unquote a first lady of a church. But before they became first ladies of a church, they had reached a certain level in themselves um, that they they knew who they were. They were content with who they were. Um, and they were willing to be or become what they needed to be in ministry, right? But they were still secure in themselves enough to be able to walk into that position and, and sit alongside of their husband. So when when you're out here looking for your husband or your wife, 
the main thing is that people know that people are attracted to power. Mm-hmm. People are attracted to power. They're attracted to power. They're attracted to position, right? And they're attracted right. to wealth, the potential. It's like you, if you have the potential, so call it the three Ps, the power, uh, the position, and the potential. If you look like you have the potential to rise up in the church or rise up in ministry or whatever, there are women and men who will latch on to you. If they see that, you know, there is something there um, to be gained out of that, they will latch on to you. But are they really the husband or the wife that God has called you to? Or that, you know, are, are... would be the one who could labor beside you in ministry. So that's that's the thing is that what's at the what's at the heart of it. So the heart of a man and the heart of a woman has to first and foremost be that their heart has turned towards God. And in this dynamic, none of the people there, with the exception of Pastor Davis, in even in his weak moment, really had a heart to God. And these are all people yeah. in the church. All well, and and you can include um, what was his name again? I forgot. Was it Rodney? It was Rodney, yeah. Rodney, okay. Rodney, so, I, I, Rodney, he did too. Rodney was just fun. He he was he had a yeah. sense of humor. He lived, um, and I wanted to put that dynamic in there. That's a, you know she yeah. couldn't see him though. She really couldn't yeah. see yeah. him. And then their their situation kind of uh, put me in the mind of um, the story in the Bible with um, Hosea and his wife Gomer. How even though she kept going, like even though they weren't married, Rodney and Crystal weren't married. Obviously, but even with Hosea, he kept he was going to get his wife that kept going to other men. You know what I mean? Kind of with Rodney. Rodney knew her story. He knew it. But even then, he was able to bypass all of that because he seen something else in her too. You know, something that he he hadn't. Um, but it's a lot of times that. You know, those people, and you said that with Pastor Davis, obviously with the Parson, Mrs. Parson and Rodney, you've seen God in them. Um, but then you put the other ones, I don't I don't want to say it was in Marcus. God wasn't in Marcus. But with the other characters, it was a lot of straddling the fence. And that's just coming from my own personal experience. I've did it for years. You know, it took me a while before I was all the way over. And a lot of times that's what, you know, that's what who are, who were in her life. Like Yolanda really did she was more grounded. She knew what Chris was doing was you know, from right and wrong and she was able to tell her. But at the same time, Yolanda was ready to hurt run up and get all the juice with her when it was time to spill the tea. Like when it was ready to get that gossip, she still entertained it. You know, it was still things that yes, Yolanda was more of a voice of reason, but it was still things that needed to be cleaned up as well. And then down to Crystal's children, they were only products of what they, their environment. You know what I mean? If my mom, you know, I don't even so much put it on them as much as they were kind of just spectators and pieces of the puzzle. But even her youngest, Aisha, has to bring her back and say, and this is what I'll be telling the book, how do I get forgiven? How do I get forgiven? You forgive me but you can't forgive Leslie. I'm no different. You know what I mean? Like I was just trying to show those different dynamics how, you know, you're not all good, you're not all bad. That was my, my, my point. And a lot of times I was really trying to show that Crystal's daughters had a lot more sense than she did on a lot of levels. 
<laughs> I really was trying to show yes, that. Yes, they like, did. You they, did. They had you more sense too. in their mind. Yeah. Like, they were and, like, and the, yeah. to condemn your mom. You're condemning me. You're condemning Leslie, mom, for really basically saying the truth. She didn't say it in a respectful way. But you're going to forgive me? What's the difference? You know, right. so I was just trying to show that her daughters had a lot of sense, despite her negligence on guiding them. She had a lot of sense. They had more sense than, you know, it took. But I also was trying to show there's just no good in We can't put a person in a box. There's no good and there's no bad. You know, Gabrielle, the one thing, though, is that the reason I think that they had more wisdom than their mom is because um, Crystal had given them the opportunity to be children, whereas Effie had stolen. True. That's true as well. You know, so I think that the dynamic, yeah, she she was protective. She might not have been the best mother, but she was protective of them. So they had a normal, as normal as a childhood as they could possibly have. Given the fact well, she that and she put that in there. She put she even puts that in there when Marcus makes a comment about Leslie, and she says, "I got to make a mental note to let him know don't do that again," because mm-hmm. although she's a handful, Leslie is my handful, and that goes to show she wasn't a perfect person, but she still covered her children enough to know, especially with men, I'm not going to let you just do my child any kind of way. You know what I mean? She still had that. As dysfunctional as it was, she still had that, I guess, that broken umbrella over them. It wasn't all the way over because she had areas that she needed to fix it, but she still had those areas that she was still kind of mama bear. And those are still my children, you know, still my, okay. my kids. And it, I tried to show that in different pieces, like when all hell broke loose and Marcus, like, told everything at that event. Um the first thing she thought about was her children. She said, mm-hmm. they didn't deserve this. And she looked at their reaction. Now everybody knew. Her her friend, their friends included. Her worry was them. She had said, it, I, I can't fix it. But now I put my children, now I put my children in my mess. So I was trying to show those bits and pieces. No, Crystal wasn't perfect. But she did love those girls. She did. She just didn't know how to show it all the way because of her own brokenness. And I agree. I agree. And there is so much um, more to this book. (laughs) There is so much more. And the more I talk to you, the more I want to talk about it. But I just don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away because all I can tell you is is that there is a, um, all the elements of, a storm on the horizon that just comes full force and it just wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc on everybody. Every single character that you have in this book does not go unscathed. It hits, you know what I'm saying, nobody was safe. I guess you could say the parson might have been safe. <laughs> right. But, you know, because they're out of town at this at while all this stuff is happening. They're, you know, out of town but they do come back and but at the same time it's like they're on the periphery but the key characters in it are it, everybody is, is impacted. Absolutely everybody's impacted. But the thing that gets me is that S C manages to um rise 
above um, the fray, if you would, even if she didn't have, um, you know, you know, even even if she didn't really, how can I put this? Um, how can I put this? Is that Essie is 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 like the storm is brewing, and I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna go to the high ground and wait for all this to die down. You know, she's not getting in there trying to rescue even her grandchildren from this mess or her um, her daughter for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just like, okay, she's just going through the motions of everything. And I think overall is that um, when you say that this book represents the pieces of real people, you know, you were able to turn it into a play at first and then you brought it into a book and, you know, you're going to follow it up with a sequel. But the pieces in this book are representative of real people Absolutely. that you have encountered, that you know. So the the, the storyline comes from these are people who have made these mistakes and you were able to, you know, put it into a production or turn it into a play. And I think that if... At the end of the day, people who are stepping into roles and they have, because, you know, you don't even hear anybody talk about, well, you know, what is this going to do to my members? You know, how is this going to affect my members? You know, how is this going to affect this? How is this going to affect the ministry? How is it going to, you know, you don't hear that. So maybe in the sequel this will come out. But at the end of the day, it's like you got a man who ascended to the position of being a co-pastor obviously for the hopes of becoming a pastor, right? So I don't think that he was the type that wanted to stay a co-pastor. Marcus, we're talking about. So you have people yeah, who... Yeah, it was all about notoriety for him. In fact, position, basically. yeah, because it says, you know, mm-hmm. his last name was Powers and he liked power. So you, you know, he wanted the power and the position and he had the potential, right? So then you move mm-hmm. on to Pastor Davis who had the position the full position of being a pastor, right? And he had, you know, the he obviously was walking in his potential and he had the power. But at the same time, it's that in his moment of weakness, you know, this opens up a door for him to, you, you can't say that he had an affair, but he definitely had an emotional affair, if you would. They didn't have a physical affair, but they had an emotional affair. And at the end of the day, He said, you know, if I had have allowed you to come to my room, you know, this would have happened. This would have happened, you know, kind of thing. So it's like a lot of times, and I've seen this in ministry, I've seen people, whether they've been an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, whatever, evangelist, that they get caught up. And you've seen it. You've seen them ascend to the heights great height, and then have great fall. I've never mm-hmm. lived in a time where I thought I would ever see a pastor commit suicide. I've never I know. lived in a time where I thought I would see uh, pastors uh, going through some of the things that they've gone through. 
um, publicly. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I, I, I just never heard of a pastor committing suicide. But we've experienced it in my lifetime and in your lifetime of pastors committing suicide. But the one thing that I can say the common ground in this is that they all say something beforehand, before their fall, is that they have left their first love. And I believe that it doesn't matter whether you, what position you're in, is that your first command is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Then love yourself, then love your neighbor. But at the core of all of this is that these people were not loving God. They were loving themselves. They were loving their their self-image, their self-portrait. So it's, it's not about the leadership. It's about people who did not have their first love. They had left their first love. Because even down to Pastor Davis, as, as, as you know, well as we want to leave him coming out in the freight, he never says what happened, what's happening between him and his wife at home. He's just suddenly on the couch at the church, and now he's progressed from the couch on the church to his own hotel room, okay? But it's never talked about what's at stake, what's really the issue there. Why is it that he doesn't have his wife's support? You know, so maybe that's going to come out in, in your next book. But at the same time is that I can't let him get a pass <laughs> because when okay. you talk about, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just can't because the first the first thing that he did was when he deceived those people because he wanted the funding. So that's that's the money. That's the money. He wanted the funding, and he knew in order for him to get the funding, so at some point or another that's going to fall. Because these people are going to find out that that's not his wife. That wasn't his wife. That was in, and you know, they're going to feel some kind of way at some point because he practiced to deceive. He practiced to deceive, and he took Crystal and put her in that position. He did that. She wouldn't have gone there on her own because you know what I'm talking about. Unless he invited her, so he invited her into his deception. And he continued to perpetuate that deception. And then when he had his moment of weakness and they go to French kissing and he gets aroused and he pulls away, he comes to himself. Now, is he really coming to himself? Because he says, I love my wife, right? Well, if he loved his wife, he, to me, he wouldn't have been in that position in the first place. That's, that's just my personal opinion. Don't shoot me over it. This is my personal opinion. Okay. No, so. it, it no, it, it's an opinion. But I just, but that was one of the reasons why I put him in there because I wanted to show. Okay, he has these issues going on, but we don't know exactly. But his wife refuses to re- support him, and I, I was really just trying to show how this man who really did love God and really did love his wife still fell short. The thing is, he was tempted. He was he almost went all the way off the cliff. Um, but I purposely didn't want to, I didn't want him to go over. And that was by design because I was trying to show that how many times have we almost, have we always been looking over the cliff? We almost jumped, so to speak, but didn't. And I was really, I it was a, some big points I was trying to pull out of the book. One was validation. What are we willing to accept from people to get validation when we don't have to? We have Christ. That's the only validation we need. But I also 
something that was very big, and it, it was a theme throughout my book, if you think about it, was there's no perfect person. There's no um, there's no person that fits, fits perfectly in a box with a bow. And I tried to show that with my characters. Even down to when I was talking to Miss Parson, Miss Parson, her husband, may not be going through a lot of things that Crystal had been going through, but I even wanted to show that even her husband had to grow up because Miss Parson gave a story about before they became husband and wife, her husband wanted to play games a little bit, and she had to let him know that wasn't going to work for me. Miss Parsons knew who she was. But I even wanted to show that everybody had a story because a lot of times I think I'm getting really frustrated, and this is just how I feel like God is lining me up in my own ministry, is we got to stop judging and condemn, condemning and just know that life is messy and it's not me, and, and stuff happens. It doesn't make it right. We have to do better. We have to correct, and we have to learn from it. But we got to stop trying to make one person's situation look cleaner than the other because although the Parsons had a great life now, Mr. Parson was something else in his day too. He just changed. So it's all about that evolve and that change. So, no, your 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 opinion is, is valid, but these are the things that I was trying to pull out. I wasn't trying to give Pastor Davis a pass. He fell short. But I also wanted to show that he was still human. And right. he did have enough to be like, I can't do this. I know men, married men, who've been on that brink, who were very, very close to stepping out on their on their marriage. And at that right. last minute, right before they got ready to jump, they pulled back. And that's all I wanted right. to show, that it happened. So, yes, ma'am. Right. So here's. Here's what um, we are in the last 15 minutes of the show, and I want you to tell people how to reach you, to follow up with you, if you've got any events coming up that you would like to talk about, or if you have, um, you know, anything else that you want to share specifically. I just want to invite the listeners, when you listen to this, uh, listening to it now, you're listening to it later, I hope you buy the book. I hope you'll read it. I tell you, it was a difficult read. It's not an easy read. Um, when I say not an easy read, because it's very emotional. It is very emotional for me. It's very, um, uh, how can I put it? It touches so many aspects of life that I know about and have experienced uh, either through being in ministry or, you know, just it, it's real. It's real. And so, just know that this book is based on a series of real events <laughs> and how she managed to, you know, produce a play and put it into a book is amazing because that's a gift from God. I do nonfiction. I, I have not been able to do fiction. So I applaud you for this because you did truly a great job. So I Hello? I said, so I'll let you go ahead and finish out and talk about what you need to talk about. Okay. Uh, well, as you can reach me. Um, I'm on Instagram, and I'm also um, I'm Destin underscore 82 on Instagram. Um, you can just find me, my writer's page on Facebook. I'm just Gabrielle Beasley. And um, you can also, uh, like, like uh, Patricia said earlier, you can – 
catch my book on Amazon and you can get the paperback or you can it's also available in Kindle or ebook format. As far as what's coming in the future, I definitely am going to write a part two to the book. Um, I'm promoting the part one a little more, but I'm actually going, I'm from Illinois, so I'm going to my hometown. So if I have anybody from Illinois that's listening or will listen, I will be there in April to do a book signing. Um, As far as with what else is going on, I am out searching investors because we want to turn First Lady into a film. Uh, writing is my first love. I'm starting to fall in love with directing and producing. Um, in a group with uh, eight other people called Potluck Film Productions, it's our business, and it's a faith-based production company. And what we're doing is we are producing works that need to be talked about that don't talk about, and basically in the raw truth. Um, it's not neat. It's not going to be a bow on it. It's going to be... God trying to show God in this really nasty, nasty world that we live in, but it's the things that we definitely have to have to address. So that is my goal, and I actually have another book that I um, have started. I kind of put on hold, but God has been pulling on me to finish that too. And that's that's a different dynamic, um, and it's called Redemption. I it's about a third of the way through as far as the rough draft of it, and it. It's from a different dynamic because now I'm writing from not just from a woman's point of view but from a man and how we just, you know, how we as people move forward and how we decide to, to what decisions we make from some of the the bad situations or painful situations that we put in we put into. But that is what I'm believing is part of my purpose is to just show the humanity in people and not be judgmental because I know when I've made my mistakes, I have not wanted to be judged. I just wanted to be loved and not and just to be understood. So those are the things that, you know, we're working on. We got a part two, so be looking for a part two uh, for a first lady or not. I can't give you a deadline or a date on that yet, but that'll be coming. Uh, Redemption will be coming out, and we're working on getting first lady and not to the big screen. So just look for Gabrielle. Let's listen for that name, Gabrielle Beasley, because I plan on just to be moving and grinding in the community. And also look for Potluck Film Productions because we'll be doing work as well and just just getting our name and exposed out there. And it's all for Christ. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. It has nothing to do with us, which is what we were called to do. So, And I want to thank you, Patricia, so much for having me on your show. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome to come back anytime because I definitely want to talk about it some more. But uh, I just yes, didn't want to give it away. I really didn't want to give it away. So um, the only thing is that we did have a caller that had a question. But at the end of the day, the, the question is, is that, you know, we use the reason that we're not perfect or to excuse ourselves from not living up to the call of Christ on our lives. And that's something that we as the church and as believers have to grow into maturity in Christ. And that's coming back to that first command is loving God with your whole heart. And the reason why we fall is because we haven't reached that level of loving God with our whole heart. And that's something that God has called me to do and I write about 
loving God with your whole heart and having that intimacy with God and having that relationship with God that would, as according to the book of Jude says, now unto him who is able to and to present you faultless, we are under grace, but he is able to keep us from falling. And that's what I'm hoping and aspiring to in my life, and I'm hoping to, to minister to other people to aspire to in life. But at the same time, um, we grow in grace. And But I ask that you and whatever you do is that you press toward the mark of that higher calling in Christ Jesus, that whatever God calls you to do, that you do it with all your might and with all your power and all your strength that God would empower you and give you the grace and give you the ability to see and to seek, you know, that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall what? Be filled. So I pray that you will be filled as you pursue what the things um, are in front of you, what God has for you, and God bless you, God keep you. And again, thank you for being on Patricia Adams Live. And this is how we overcome life after difficult things. God bless. See you in the future. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.